we'll do the Migos warm up, you know? Do you need Olympic song? <laughs> yes, or the national anthem. Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is August 13th, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Summer Lee. And I'm Nurul Azlia. What's Welcome. up, world? Welcome Do you back. miss me? Yes, yes. The fans <laughs> were mad. I am so touched. I am so touched in the heart. Thank you so right. much for missing me. I feel so loved. All okay. day, all day. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> How is life? How was your week? Tell me all about it. Literally, it's just the same, you know, like same old, same old. How are you doing? Surviving. Great. Thanks. Wonderful. But yay, I guess we get to go and dine out again as vaccinated people in Singapore Woo-hoo! here this week. Yeah. Good for you because you are um, certified fully vaccinated. You have completed mm-hmm. the two-week wait waiting time. You know, you... Facts. Yeah. So for me, I still have to wait two weeks because I just got my second vaccine on freaking National Day. Oh my god, the most patriotic person in the entire world. It's normal. I know, right? Yeah. They were playing National Day songs while we all waited in the observation <laughs> area. And I'm like listening to Count on Me Singapore and Facts. evaluating my life. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, definitely a very sentimental moment. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, did you all get up and sing? Oh, wait, do you get shot immediately? Because, um, you know, spittle, your spittle will fly everywhere. So cannot. Because there's a virus, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And no, no strenuous exercise. Sometimes singing can be a strenuous exercise. Oh, you right. When like Adele comes on during karaoke, like it's on, okay? Yeah. <laughs> God. That shit. Singing should be an Olympic uh, sport. <laughs> yeah, like is, is Andrea Bocelli, that dude still alive? I don't know. He would clinch the gold. <sighs> I, I vote Adele as my coach. I will Facts. I want to see your lungs <laughs> on x-ray. Like I need to see what's going on in there that allows you to do that. With COVID virus and antibodies. Facts. Fighting each other. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, I just recently found this anti-vax telegram group and it is a joy. These people are sharing recipes for hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine, that's my bad. Um, Do they have vegan options and um, gluten-free options? Maybe yes, because they're made of citrus peels, which I did not know was a thing. Or like, if this is, any of this is real, by the way, but... It's like peak entertainment because this one dude said like, my neighbor got vaxxed and now she can't be near metals. And I'm like, right then. This is all entertaining. I'm not sure if it's real, but it's actually very inspiring. Um, yeah. Actually, I did I did see a video of um, my friend circulating a video of uh, spoon. They want to mm. see the stainless steel spoon sticking oh, to yeah. whoever that person's arm, whoever that person was. The, mm. uh, the spoon was sticking to the arm. Apparently, the person just had vaccinated man god damn it x-man vibes now we all know magneto was vaccinated oh facts he should be like the new mascot guys like come on marvel all right let's uh get into order of business for the day top stories down to business top stories okay advertise with our in-house agency growth fast funny digital join forces with us to slay buzzwords rise above the noise, and sow the seeds of something great. Get in touch via coconuts.co slash grove. And in this week's top story, we are going to start in Bali. In Bali, Lionel Messi fever has obviously hit 
the island, especially for one boy from East Nusa Tenggara who broke down in tears after learning that the footballer was leaving FC Barcelona after 21 years. Clap, clap. I would like to clap my hands for, uh, for that, that guy. You he stayed in the club for two for that long. That's two decades. He deserves a mm. long service award. Mm-hmm. Anyways, moving on to this story. So the boy cried so hard about the footballer's departure from the team that oh. his mother had to console him. And a video of it, um, someone actually filmed the mother consoling the poor kid. And that video has gone viral online. <laughs> Yep, poor Aww. boy. Maybe um, Lionel Messi needs to maybe give him a call or something. Yeah, man. But anyways, yep, the footballer has already been signed with a French club Paris Saint-Germain ever since. And yeah, good on him. Let's see how he goes there. Not that I watch football anyways, but I don't care where he goes. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm like, what are the implications? Well, boy, not there anymore. But yeah, um, as you can tell, I do not know shit about football. Um, all I know is uh, one time we went to Barcelona on a family trip and my dad paid 100 euros to take a picture on a green screen with Lionel Messi. It's a green screen Lionel Messi. 100 euros. I don't talk to him anymore. Wow, he can literally do that with a Zoom background now. Exactly. But that was like maybe 10 years ago. So I think at the time it was, wow, technology, I'm an old man, sign me up. I don't know how it works. So (laughs) shout out to him. (laughs) You know, but I do wonder why Singapore didn't buy him. Because we've been so desperately trying to bring back our football glory days for so long. And we spent so much money on a stadium. And why didn't we just get a football star? Yeah, yeah, just buy him. What does he cost? Like, I don't know. I, I just feel like we have a lot of money. And doesn't our boy, um, the billionaire Peter Lim, um, own a football club? Why don't he buy yeah. this? Just buy this dude. Yeah, yeah I don't know how football we're, works. We're good, at, uh, we're good at recruiting foreign talents. And we're Ayo. good at swapping foreign talents. Shout out to the government. Love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Over in Bangkok. Relax, I'm a nurse says this Thai soldier who showed off his Pfizer jab. Nuru, we're just talking about Pfizer supremacy and how people who got Pfizer won't shut up, right? Nuru, who got Pfizer, right? Yeah, uh, but hello, no discrimination here. Like, Facts. Pfizer, Moderna, we all equal. Sinovac, mm, girl, I love you too. Ugh. Okay, and then that's what you... Let's like... Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this Pfizer supremacy thing, right? It's especially important in Thailand where, you know... Even securing vaccines, no matter the brand, is really hard to begin with. So this um, military man was under fire when he was basically flexing that he got the Pfizer vaccine. So yes, he fired back at those questioning how he came by a Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, saying he was a nurse who deserved this freaking vaccine. Okay, but did you have to show off on the internet? Don't know. So our boy Nopadon Manichan, who's a sergeant in Loe province, responded to the outrage that the military was given preferential treatment. He said that he deserved the vaccine because he works on the front lines. And yeah, this vaccine, as you might know, comes from the United States. So it's actually quite funny. Um, Thai people have been praising Biden on social media and putting him in like these cute, very well-designed congratulatory posts. But yeah. So our boy Nopadon addressing everybody in the media, he said, I'd like to clarify to people on social media that I work at the Kaisi Songrak Hospital. 
and I'm prone to risk of COVID as I'm in contact with COVID patients. I had asked my sister to reserve a Moderna vaccine appointment for October, but it would take too long. Okay, so this guy's just finding different ways to flex. Because yeah, um, his social media humble brag obviously infuriated those who have suspected that the army would divert vaccines to its ranks rather than put the people first. You got to see what this dude wrote as well because he said, Dear Moderna, I can't wait for you any longer. Today, I turned to Pfizer instead. I didn't, what the fuck? Like, was there not a better way to, you know, not do that? Um, that drew questions uh, as to how he came by the vaccine given that the army had secretly sought to secure mRNA vaccines through backdoor channels and some mathematical shortcomings on where the government said the vaccines were going. And the beautiful hashtag, where have Pfizer vaccines gone? was trending on Thai Twitter as usual. Um, yeah, so this comes after 1.5 million doses of US-donated Pfizer vaccines arrived late last month, and a group of activists, medics, and other groups questioned whether medical frontliners will receive half of them as promised, or you know whether they would go to people with the deepest pockets. So that remains to be seen. And it's real freaking sad, but yeah, I guess if you freaking get the vaccine, don't do what this guy did, the fuck? Mm-hmm. Everyone, um, everyone is trying to flex, no matter what vaccine they have. To be like, that's what I observe. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know. It kind of um influence or persuade more people to get vaccinated. But at the same time, yeah, if you are, if you're boasting about the brand of the vaccine, mm. then then there is another motive there, which is to obviously to show off. Yeah, what an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> that's my opinion. Facts. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right. In Hong Kong, a Hong Kong Olympic cyclist, Sarah Lee Weizhi. This girl just did the most baller move recently. So after winning Hong Kong's sixth medal at the Tokyo Games, the cyclist actually rejected a call with Chief Executive Carrie Lam. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you win a game, Prime Minister Lee Sen-Leung calls you and then you just Click deny. He declined. <laughs> he said, seen. Like, he blue ticked him. <laughs> yeah, so this cyclist rejected the call. She was apparently swamped with back-to-back interviews when the political leader rang her up. Um, and her declining that call was actually captured in a video. So there is a video of the exact moment when Lee declined the call. So the, the cyclist was actually... Uh, listening intently to the reporter's question. She was being interviewed by a reporter, Shu. So the video actually captured her listening to the reporter's question and that was when her phone suddenly rang. And the video actually showed her um, looking at her phone and then heard her saying, ayah. And then she turned around to reject the call. It was like, ayah. Giant okay, movie. Mm-hmm. And then she resumed uh, her, focus, her attention to the reporter and asked the reporter to continue. <laughs> that is amazing the amount of swag that exuded love to see it <laughs> that's on self-care honestly winning at life yeah hashtag mm-hmm. self-care don't do whatever you don't want to do nobody can force you to do shit right yeah boundaries boundaries mm-hmm. she said take a number okay <laughs> <laughs> yep best olympic story ever mm-hmm. over in jakarta more vaccination stuff. Um, Jakarta vaccinator was arrested for allegedly injecting boy with nothing. Bro, what is happening? Nothing. Nothing is in the head. That's why. Uh-huh. 
just vibes no thoughts just vibes um yeah this video which was taken last week and went viral shows the vaccinator injecting the boy during a covid-19 vaccination drive at a high school in Pluit Bajaringan um however it's apparent that the syringe plunger had not been drawn before the injection and the syringe was clearly empty So yeah, the video was taken by the boy's mother who used the footage as proof in her complaint to the vaccination drives organizers. At the time, the organizers apologized and agreed to administer a proper shot to the boy. After the video went viral, the North Jakarta police took action and questioned the vaccinator, who was a volunteer at the program identified by her initials EO, who was arrested and she confessed to giving the boy an empty shot. She had this to say, "I apologize especially to the family and the boy I vaccinated." I had no ill intention um she said in tears during a police press conference Eo told the police that she administered shots to hundreds of people that day I mean were all of them blank what's happening um like could you guarantee that all of them got their shots or they got a whiff of air I'm not sure um yeah she vaccinated 599 people that day and she felt she was negligent for not making sure that she was carrying out her job properly according to Jakarta Metro police spokesman Yusri Yunus Nevertheless, Eo was charged with jeopardizing efforts to combat a disease outbreak and may face up to one year in prison. And yet, a similar accusation was made against a vaccinator in Karawang, West Java, last month. Though in that case, the medical professional denied faking the shot, and lab tests were conducted to determine if there was any truth to the accusation. And the case is still under investigation as of today. Oh my God, what is this like? I'm not sure what was happening. Like, was the nurse, you know? um kind of tired maybe from shooting up 600 people did she have a hidden agenda i do not know but yeah yeah big sense that's the that's the question in my head mm. uh you i don't care whether you actually i don't care whether she confessed i want to know why why did you do it why yeah. were you shooting air up in people's muscles i know right and like needles hurt so poor poor man's over here got shot for nothing he going to get shot again And where did the vaccines go? Where did the doses of vaccine go then? If if none of them are going into people, right, right. Mm. <sighs> Very fishy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, in Kuala Lumpur, this one MDB thing is still going on Oof. in Kuala Lumpur, even after Malaysia has changed governments already <laughs> so many <laughs> times. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in Kuala Lumpur, the Justice Department in the US. has repatriated to Malaysia more money it had seized as part of investigations into the 1MDB looting a total of 1.9 billion ringgit or 452 million US dollars was sent to Malaysia recently it had been sending back seized cash since May 2019 actually and um the total amount transferred so far including the latest one is now at 1.2 billion US dollars The latest tranche of transfers was made up of cash that the department said was laundered through major financial institutions around the world including in the US, Switzerland, Luxembourg and why am I not surprised Singapore. <laughs> so just a recap. <laughs> so just a recap. The justice department had originally alleged that approximately 4.5 billion US dollars had been looted from the One Malaysia Development Berhad State Fund that ex-prime minister Najib Razak had mm-hmm. founded and some of which we all know went into the making of the movie Wolf of Wall Street and some luxury apartments in Manhattan and other parts of US 
and um, some of the culprit uh, suspects have been named as you know the guy who formed the state fund itself, which is Najib Razak, and his uh, estranged friend Jolo, which we all still don't know where he is, where he is quarantined in under quarantine. Is he still on a boat? Is he maybe hanging out with Paris Hilton? Mm-hmm. God knows. Or oh, maybe maybe not Paris Hilton because Paris Hilton has been cooking whatever oh, yeah. crappy shit on Netflix. She is booked <laughs> and busy. <laughs> cooking out marshmallows and, and burning French toast. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so that's that's one MDB. Latest. I love I love rich people activities. It's just like I'm never going to be this rich and it's nice to know what y'all get up to with this amount of money. So like, okay, do you? Yeah, I wonder if the other way around happens as well. Like rich people are looking at poor people's life or not even, like maybe just our life. Just mm. looking at how, you know, all these commoners uh, queuing up for toilet paper and <laughs> rushing for discount deals. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Right, it's like, like if you give me to them. <laughs> true little peasants and their little toilet yeah. paper, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. It's like if you give me this money, right? Would I be this stupid? I hope the fuck not. You know, I would embezzle yeah. properly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, my imagination is going wild now. Like, what if there is like a Netflix for the one percentile mm-hmm. group with like reality shows on poverty porn just to like entertain the hell out of them during quarantine. True, okay. true, Imagination's true. going well. Okay, anyways, moving on. <laughs> uh, deep thoughts always on the show. Mm. <laughs> and over in Manila, there's a ban on outdoor exercise and it's going to be strictly enforced by police. At least Metro Manilans can use ECQ time to get fit, right? Wrong! According to the chief of the Philippine National Police, also known as the PNP, as he reminded his officers to strictly enforce the prohibition on outdoor exercise. <laughs> Are you exercising? Yeah, that was a workout. Like, I'm, that's it. I'm not moving for the rest of the week. Just kidding. <laughs> but yes, my boy Elazar said in a statement, the prohibition on outdoor activities is the decision of our Metro Manila mayors and it needs to be enforced by your PNP for the welfare of all. Especially since there are many confirmed cases among children, including infants who have caught COVID-19. Oh my God, babies? That's freaking sad. But yeah, Elazar has also asked police commanders to disperse information about this rule through Oplan Bandio, where police officers use megaphones on patrol vehicles to make announcements in neighborhoods. That is like cool as shit. Like I would want to work as a policeman solely to get like this giant megaphone, you know, <laughs> on patrol vehicles. Um, Yeah. So according to health experts, however, transmission of the COVID-19 virus is massively reduced by being outdoors. So make it make sense. But then again, whatever. You do you. I'm not the government. All right. And in Singapore, um, Singapore is showing its good side lately to help oh. a toddler with a rare genetic disease. Strangers made a big down payment of nearly... $2 million, Singapore dollars, that is, for gene therapy for a two-year-old boy known only as Dathan D, who was born with spinal muscular atrophy that affects nerve cells in his brain and spinal cord. Local businesses have also rallied support by launching their own crowdfunding campaigns. 
Pretty cool. So yeah. this campaign, it's um, under Ray of Hope. The name, the name of the campaign is Ray of Hope. So it started on August 3rd and donors have up until September 1st to help uh, to help the family afford this gene therapy treatment called Zolgensma, which costs two million eight hundred and sixty-eight thousand Singapore dollars, and will prevent the boy's condition from getting worse. So, what's remarkable about this is that the campaign is already very close to hitting its target, and Ooh. around twenty thousand donors from not just Singapore but some people around the world as well have contributed to it. Pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. It's like there's exactly. good left in the world. Adorable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still some pockets of good around this world because, you know, you read news every day. Especially for me, like I read news every day and mm. it's usually the bad things that happen to people that make news. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, yeah, so just to have this pepper in between all the bad news is kind of good. Good for the yeah. mind, body and soul. Facts, facts. <laughs> and over in Yangon, not so much good news as uh, these Yangon youths join hands before their fatal leap to escape soldiers, according to witnesses. And that's sad as fuck. Um, um, a group of Yangon teens locked arms before leaping from a rooftop to escape pursuing security forces, according to area residents, killing three of them. Uh, those living in 44th Street... Um, said that they saw soldiers opening fire on the group who they were apparently pursuing because they were linked to several downtown bombings. Hmm. So according to this person named Zal, who asked that his full name be withheld, told Coconuts that uh, they climbed to the roof and ran and the soldiers shot five rounds at them. One was shot and taken down while the others jumped into the back alley while holding hands. And a total of two boys and a girl died in a five-story fall, according to reports. And there are images and videos floating around, allegedly from the scene, showing several broken bodies lying on the ground. What? Wow. That's freaking sad, boy. Yeah. But yeah, three others were taken into custody, and it was unclear whether they were sought in connection to the earlier bombings. Um, and an image later circulated, probably showing those taken into custody, along with that, was said to be bomb-making materials in the room. Yeah, man. So the eyewitness also added that one boy and one girl were still alive when they reached the ground. And he had actually heard the boys crying and the girl was beaten by soldiers. And the ambulance only came two hours later. Another 44th Street resident said that the soldiers prevented anyone from rendering aid, which is cruel as hell. Um, but yeah, the boy was asking for water and nobody could help him since the soldiers were pointing guns at everyone. It was like in the movies said Nine, who also spoke on condition of anonymity. He also added that they were taken blindfolded and the two survivors were said to have been taken to a military hospital. Fuck. Wow, I cannot imagine being in that situation. But what is yeah. going on though? Like, It's not clear, right? There's just not enough clarity as to what is going on. Yeah, we have to depend on people on the ground to actually you know, tell us these things. Real sad. Yeah. yeah, and then you have authorities um, go uh, like giving their own version of the story, which is not all the time uh, consistent. That's <laughs> with why what's happening on the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to the military statement, which we don't know if we believe, but whatever, um, a man and woman were killed, and three people were injured during search operations. 
It was said that two men and a woman were arrested with 16 makeshift grenades and other explosive items. Um, okay. Don't know if that's real because it's from the military, but whatever. Hmm. Yeah. So sad. Rest in peace. And that wraps up our top stories for the week. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. Our special guest this week is Hong Kong editor Hilary Leong. She will join us to discuss the controversy surrounding the management of a Chinese restaurant that refused to let a woman wear her hijab if she wanted to work there as a dishwasher. All the juicy deets coming up. Racist. Racist. All right. Hi, Hilary. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Always a pleasure. All right. Um, before we get into the most important uh, topic of the day, uh, tell us what, what's uh, going on in Hong Kong lately. Um, it's been a pretty slow news week in Hong Kong. Hmm. Um, our virus situation has pretty much um, settled a lot over the past few months. So uh, I want to say optimistically that we're out of the woods um, and our vaccination rate, uh, which was very slow going to start with, has slowly been picking up as well. So um, that's a bit of positive news um, from Hong Kong. (laughs) That's good to hear. Um, is there anything that you are expecting from uh, Hong Kong? Um, are people looking forward to traveling anytime soon? In lesser restrictions in the coming months? Um, in terms of travel, uh, that's that doesn't seem to be opening up anytime soon. I think the closest we were to uh, restarting a bit of travel was uh, the Singapore travel bubble, <laughs> um, which fell through not once but twice. <laughs> And um, yeah, and if I'm not wrong, the situation in Singapore isn't looking great at the moment. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like every time we say the words travel bubble, and then that shit just busts. So yeah, we'll say the curse words. (laughs) Yeah, I think some um, some people are referring to it as a corridor instead, in hopes that um, in hopes that yeah, that will, will jinx future plans. Mm, okay, so we just keep coming out with names to refer to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Might want to uh, think of another word to replace corridor, just in case, you know? Yeah, bridge. What, what else we got? Yeah. Tunnel? Okay, I'll Highway? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so about this hijab controversy, um, could you give us some details? Yeah, sure. Um, so this incident happened um, at the start of the month. And um, so this woman um, who was wearing a hijab to go to a restaurant to apply for a dishwashing job had pretty much gotten the position. And um, she was already speaking with the restaurant about um, about salary and about working hours um, until they told her that she's not allowed to wear her hijab on the job. And so the woman asked uh, whether it's okay to just keep it on because, you know, I, I wear it for religious purposes. And the kitchen insists, sorry, not the kitchen, the restaurant insisted that because there are a Chinese style eatery, that that's absolutely not allowed. 
So um, the um, the woman's daughter and son uh, came to the restaurant later and uh, tried to confront the staff, which was um, what that viral video on Instagram was showing. And so, yeah, we managed to get in touch with the daughter who told us exactly what had happened and that she had filed complaints to um, two of the relevant government departments mm. and is hoping that this can help to draw more awareness to racist issues in Hong Kong, which happen often, but um, are not talked about as often as they should be. Mm. So I'm guessing the woman decided not to take the job? Yes, she did not take mm. the job. Okay. How are other people reacting to this incident? Um, so on Instagram, um, you'll see that the, uh, the discussions are, um, are, they, they kind of go both ways. There are a lot of people, um, who of course are condemning the restaurant and saying that it's, you know, ridiculous that Hong Kong being a multicultural society, uh, that the restaurant won't allow this woman who is a Hong Kong citizen to, mm. uh, to work there. And um, I think the restaurant, yeah, the restaurant had also brought up that wearing a hijab in the kitchen is a safety hazard. And mm. so, of course, people responded to that with saying, like, no, that is not true. I mean, there are all these women around the world who are wearing the headdress in the kitchen, and that is okay. That is allowed. Um, and then, of course, you have people who have uh, more conservative leanings who are accusing the woman's daughter and um, all the other people in the comments who support the daughter of saying that they're making a big deal out of nothing and that the employer has all the right in the world to um, to make sure that their employees abide by certain rules and regulations that they have. So they're, uh, they think that the employer is always right? Yes, that's <laughs> apparently what, what some people are saying. <laughs> this sounds terrible. But mm -hmm. what are the... Um, like the common SOPs for people working in the industry. And I'm assuming that a ban against hijab isn't one of them. That's just something that uh, companies apply up, uh, according to their discretion. Yeah, I guess so. Um, we, there, there are often headlines we see about, say, um, employers not wanting to hire ethnic minorities or landlords not wanting to rent units to um, to non-Chinese people. But mm -hmm. this is the first incident I've come across where um, the discrimination was set like um, sort of um, within a, a restaurant context. Yeah. Sheesh. Okay. And are there no laws to deter this kind of behavior? Um, Hong Kong does not have the most robust discrimination laws. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually do not feel optimistic that the restaurant will um, will suffer from any consequences, even with this incident. I don't feel like the daughter's complaint is really going to go anywhere because people have filed, you know, similar complaints to um, the Equal Opportunities uh council in Hong Kong and there's never really been any uh, follow-up action taken up on their part. Jeez. 
that is kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are cases like these maybe um, a bit common in Hong Kong? Um, I think that they are pretty common uh, in Hong Kong, but they're not talked about very often. And I think a large reason as to why is because uh, we're a fairly, um, we're a relatively homogenous society in that over 90% of our population is Chinese. Hmm. And so um, perhaps a lot of the discussions about racism are confined only within that small community. They don't reach a lot. They don't reach very far into the mainstream. Um, but I do think, though, that the pandemic has sort of uh, renewed important conversation about this mm. because uh, one of the outbreaks we had earlier on this year um, was in a district in Hong Kong that has a pretty significant ethnic minority population. And mm. so when uh, when that outbreak happened, then people started talking about you know, the insensitivity of government health officials and also local Chinese media when they were making comments and reporting about this. And so um, around that month, there was conversation about how racism in Hong Kong is something that needs to be addressed. Hmm. Wow. What are the, um, about this, this Chinese restaurant that is involved in this incident, where exactly is it located? Is it in a... Um, area that has less uh, Muslim community? Um, so this restaurant is in a neighborhood shopping mall and that neighborhood is called uh, Tin Shui Wai, which is, um, which is in our uh, new territories area. And it does have a significant, uh, perhaps not as significant as um, Yamate and Jordan, which was where the uh, outbreak um, mm. happened earlier this year but it mm. does have a sizable ethnic minority community and it's also a neighborhood with a lot of um, public housing estates which tend to uh, which would cater to um, the less well-off um, community mm. so um, it's definitely a district where there would be Muslim ethnic minority job seekers mm. wow you mentioned that um, similar uh, like racist issues have happened in Hong Kong before. When was uh, when was the last time like something of this scale happened? Maybe in like other sectors, and what 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 happened then? Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but mm -hmm. I do remember a comment that a government health official made. Uh, mm -hmm. earlier this year when there was an outbreak in um, a district with many ethnic minorities and he had said something about how um, how members of the ethnic minority communities like to eat together and gather as if suggesting that non-ethnic minorities do not like to eat and gather so mm -hmm. yeah. that yeah that was a comment that drew a lot of backlash and a lot of criticism rightfully and um, many people were trying to get this government health official to apologize. Uh, obviously, that, that didn't happen. But, yeah, that's one incident that really stood out to me. Mm. Was the backlash um, pretty widespread, like even among like majority communities? I would say that it was pretty widespread on Twitter. Uh, but that also tends to be... Um, that also tends to be like a more liberal side of Hong Kong, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think that 
other uh, perhaps uh, local Hong Kong people who are a little bit more conservative might not have had too many things to say about this. Mm, okay. Would you say it's like, a, it's not my problem kind of attitude? Yeah, kind of. I think it all comes mm. down to the fact that, yeah, Hong Kong is quite homogenous mm. racially. Mm-hmm. So for for majority of the population, racism is not something we ever have to contend with. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is, how as in how long or how big of an issue is um, people's pushback against hijab? Um, has it been going on for centuries, you think? This hesitance towards embracing or uh, being more inclusive towards people wearing the hijab, has this been going on for a long time? Or um, is this something that is only becoming more apparent recently? Um, so in terms of discrimination, because somebody is wearing a hijab, I actually haven't seen any recent headlines. Um, about this, yeah, about this form of racism. I feel like most of the um, racist incidents that we do hear about have been more so just like, um, and even anecdotally, we would hear about this as well, which is um, um, Indian or Pakistani men getting stopped on the street, often by police and getting their ID cards checked. Hmm. Whereas this is, I, I mean, I've never been stopped on the street. My friends have never been uh, my Chinese friends have never been stopped on the street, but then for them, it's something that is quite usual and, and even to be expected. So that's one example we, from where we can see that um, the authorities are um, definitely accountable for perpetrating this kind of racism. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, sounds very similar to what's happening in America, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hmm. In that wow. case, what is the religion makeup like uh, in Hong Kong? Um, the religion makeup in Hong Kong, yeah, so according to statistics, um, about 20% of our population is Buddhist and about 11-12% of our population is Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am an atheist myself and most of my friends are also non-religious. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I don't know too much about religion in Hong Kong, to be honest. No, that's okay. Well, yeah, so yeah, I think in Singapore, the main religion would be yeah, the Christianity, Buddhism, and then you have uh, Muslim, and then you have uh, Hindu, mm. and then you have uh, others. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. right. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, but what are your, um, Hillary, what are your personal thoughts about this incident that happened at the restaurant? Especially with the restaurant trying to deny that discrimination was an issue and trying yeah. to mm-hmm. cover that up with safety issue, which to me doesn't even make sense because I think people in the restaurants, especially those working in the kitchen, most of them sometimes have to cover their hair, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of people were pointing out that um, that this defense that the restaurant was giving didn't quite, yeah, just didn't make any sense at all. Um, yeah, I guess my opinion about this incident is just that it's completely not surprising. Um, it's um, racism has long been an issue in Hong Kong, and it's yeah, like I mentioned, fueled by the fact that we are um, we are um, so racially homogenous that um, for a lot of people they don't have to or they don't really encounter ethnic minorities in their day to day life, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, they never really have to think about the fact that we should be in um, a multicultural like um inclusive society so um yeah it's 
even though this is um, this is one of the more recent headlines that I've seen, there are probably loads of other incidents that don't even get covered either in um, in media outlets or even just on social media. I think for a lot of members of the ethnic minority community, these are just realities that they live with in Hong Kong. Right. Are there any like advocacy groups trying to lobby for um, more rights for the ethnic minority or to try to lobby for um, better policies um, for the ethnic minorities? Yeah, there are a couple of charities and also um, um, university based groups um, and um, groups supporting migrant workers and asylum seekers in Hong Kong that are quite vocal about these rights. Um, but uh, again, yeah, I feel like a lot of this activism hasn't quite entered the mainstream. Right. Mm. What about in parliament? Like, are there any um, lawmakers, politicians who speak up for them? Speak up, yes. But, um, well, <laughs> Hong Kong politics is a whole other uh, issue completely. But um, so at the moment, we have zero pro-democracy lawmakers um, in our legislature. Um, mm. And um, traditionally, our pro-democracy lawmakers were the ones who were more outspoken about right for ethnic minority members. Um, yeah. And in terms of our legislature makeup, we don't have any ethnic minority lawmakers um, who are serving. So without right. you know voices from that community, uh, I don't think we can be very optimistic about, you know, laws being passed in their favor anytime soon. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I'm so depressed. I'm laughing. <laughs> this is how I try to cope. <laughs> oh. Because I also know, or maybe maybe I'm thinking a bit too far, but we also know that uh, China um, is uh, tightening its, it appears to be tightening its grip on Hong Kong. And mm -hmm. we know that China is also having the situation with uh, what's happening in Xinjiang and the mm -hmm. so-called education camps for um, the Uyghurs. Um, do you think that these two situations happening at the same time and uh, might even continue to happen in the future, um, will that further hamper any, like, chances for ethnic minorities in Hong Kong to have a voice or to even be to have to, have, to face less discrimination? Yeah, uh, well, thankfully, that level of persecution in mainland China has not reached Hong Kong. Um, mm. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, even though our, our freedoms are deteriorating, I, I hope to God that they won't deteriorate to the um, to the extent that that, you know, is a situation in mainland China. So um, I think that in terms of religious freedom, we, we still have that here for sure. Um, mm. That's very much not the case in China mm. where um, there's been decades long uh, campaigns to stamp out religion because mm. they um, fear that any sort of group that's able to congregate in large scale can topple the government. Ah, mm. mm. oh, wow. It, the incident, this incident in Hong Kong, um, I can imagine the amount of backlash that it might get if it were to happen in Singapore because Singapore, even for a city-state that prides itself on being a multi-religious, multicultural country, it took us half a century 
to get to be where we are right now and we still we still don't allow women to wear hijab in the uniform profession mm-hmm. oh yeah. wow i didn't know that yeah so um in singapore um muslim women who want to be a nurse want to be a police who want to be in the police force or be a firefighter so this kind of uniform professions they're not allowed to wear the hijab um even though the we've we've seen um lawmakers um lobbying or talking about this in parliament for years uh but it's only this year some months ago that our prime minister uh, decided to drop some hints to the government to to start uh, tell them to prepare themselves to uh allow muslim women to wear the hijab mm-hmm. in the near future we just turned oh. 56 years old and it's only now that we may, we're inching a step closer to that inclusivity oh wow yeah well yeah. stuff we taking them some time to realize that this is not okay yeah which is which is really ironic i i find um even for you know in in singapore like we we have more um like you say like in hong kong it's it's a more homogeneous society as compared to in singapore right but mm-hmm. even but even with how diverse the people are in singapore um some some of the communities have uh, like for example the muslim women um issues like one one thing to put on a head dress for work is being like placed in the back burner for so long it's it's low key mm-hmm. offensive <laughs> yeah 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 so but it's it's good that they seem to be talking about these things now even though uh it doesn't sound like any practical changes have taken place yet No, but it's I guess it's good that um with social media people are more vocal about it. I think that kind of put a bit of pressure on the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. good I think yeah, they good they pressure, need that kind of, of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I think that's all the questions I have. Uh Summer, do you have anything to add? I think I'm good. We learned a lot this week. Yep. Thank you Hillary for your insight. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show, on the podcast. Woohoo. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Time. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. All right. That was very insightful. Learned so much mm. about um the uh, situation in Hong Kong, which reminds me so much of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think that it would happen in Hong Kong as well. Actually, I don't know why it didn't. Maybe I'm just so focused on Singapore and I didn't realize that there might be similar similar debates and issues happening in other cities. That's mm. why like the Chinese yeah. privilege transfers. Mm. Mm, yeah. Because sometimes I think I like to think that like what she said, um the This, the community in Hong Kong is pretty homogeneous, you know, mm. and uh, obviously it's 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 a it's other than race, it's, it's more of a majority versus minority issue, right? Mm. Yeah, but then I think of countries like say in the UK, which I've seen um, the the people in in their healthcare, in mm-hmm. their healthcare professions, there are uniformed uh, women who are able to wear the hijab. They they even have like. Scrubs for hijab. Mm. 
So and um, I'm and I understand that the Muslim community is not the majority there, but they're able to accommodate and be more inclusive. Exactly. So you know, um, so now every every time a, a government gives us all this reason, it just starts to sound like excuses to me because I see that it it's happening. It can it is a possibility in other countries. Exactly, it's doable. Okay, if you believe, you can do. If other people yeah. can do, so can you. Put down a pillow. Yes. Count <laughs> on me, Singapore. Let's get it. <laughs> See the silent... No, I'm not going to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hope the hijab will be there in the road ahead. Cheers. Oh, <laughs> 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 oh yeah, shit. What are we supposed to say? See you next week. That's all for this week. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Bye. See you next week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a Coco Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership, make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron, or buy a fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by a journalist on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Summer Lee and Nurul Azlia. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Rainer Lynn.